Welcome to a special episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern, with a special Finding the Halo episode dealing with coronavirus. After all, corona does mean halo, so let's find the silver lining in this outbreak. As you know, on Dr. Doctor, we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. We're normally heard on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, but this episode is an extra one that will be found on various podcast apps. We have a special guest from the other side of the world today. That's Dr. Peter Ao Young, a Hong Kong internist anesthesiologist who treated the SARS epidemic patients in 2002 and three, and also COVID-19 patients now. Peter uh, is not only trained in general internal medicine, where he did that in London, but also in anesthesiology in London. He returned to his home uh, in Hong Kong in 1992, took up a visiting lectureship at the Chinese University there. He's a specialist in anesthesia, still treats patients in the um, in the operating theaters there, and he's a master of the Guild of Sacred Luke, which is their equivalent of the Catholic Medical Association. He's chairman of, or he was chairman of the Diocesan Bioethics Committee in the Catholic Diocese of Hong Kong, and is currently chairman of the uh, World Association of Catholic Medical Associations Bioethics Committees. Peter, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Peter, uh, you know, there have been almost 300,000 confirmed cases in the world of COVID-19. It took more than three months to get the first 100,000. It took only 12 days to get the next 100,000. This is a coronavirus like SARS, which you saw back in 2002 and 2003, but SARS never got much past 8,000 total cases, yet it was apparently more deadly. So we're going to compare and contrast these two. But first, Peter, for us geography-challenged Westerners, tell us about the size, location, demographics of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is situated in the southeastern corner of China at the mouth of the Pearl River. It's one of two uh, former European colonies on opposite, uh, as it were, banks of the Pearl River, Macau, which was a Portuguese colony, and Hong Kong, which was an, uh, a British colony. And the size is about 400 square miles, but the population is around seven and a half million, which actually probably um, is limited to the flatter coastal areas. Uh, There are lots of mountains in Hong Kong. So the population density is incredibly high. The climate is um, a sort of subtropical climate, and um, it is a sort of... uh, Politically, it's sort of semi-democratic. Um, semi-autonomous, okay. Semi, semi-autonomous and semi-democratic, because although there are elections, um, there are restrictions and limitations on who can actually present themselves for elections. But that's another um, another story. Um, so we have a um, in Hong Kong, there is a predominantly um, public. Uh, medical system, the public hospitals uh, treat something like 90 plus percent of all inpatients. Um, there is no, uh, there is a, very, uh, a much more nebulous, uh, a less structured family practice system and less regulated, and uh, it's mainly private. So 
that sets the 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 standards are not very different to um, you know the Western hospitals. Uh, the um, although now they have their own specialist exams, but there are quite often uh, conjoint exams with British and Australian, um, but not not North American um, colleges and medical colleges and you know exam authorities. Peter, so, what is what is the state of your social isolation and quarantine right now in Hong Kong? Um, to be honest, not very great, because um, although we had the SARS epidemic, um, it was seventeen years ago, and frankly, I think people thought that. Uh, what I meant by not very great is not very great um, these two weeks, because we seemed to have had a, um, a sectional victory, if you see what I mean by that. We've, had, yes. we've been able to, to put the cases down, but um, there's a problem. There's a problem is that as we start uh, trying to uh, isolate and quarantine people who are coming back from abroad, even including Hong Kong um, residents and citizens and so on and so forth. Some people try to break the quarantine and it, it will out, outrun the dates of the quarantine. And we've just had a jump in cases for the last yes. three days. Yeah, there were 48 yesterday and 36 of them had just come from abroad, correct? Yes, yes. Those are returnees from Britain, uh, Europe, um, even Australia, maybe North America and so on and so forth. So we are worrying, actually worrying now. Um, the the quarantine that's been imposed is that anyone returning these days they'll have a um, a sort of um, hand band and a um, uh, a smartphone app, but it's not watertight. Um, this is the second day they've done it, uh, or third day they've done it, and the first day a third of the bands don't can't register. So that was a te technical whoopsies. So that's. That uh, gives you an idea what's what's been happening. So are yeah. schools in session? Are churches um, having uh, masses? Right. We've stopped masses uh, for, what, well, today's Saturday. Um, we've stopped masses two weeks before the first, uh, the first Sunday of Lent. So masses have been stopped for six weeks. Uh, it was under, you know... Um, rules of ice of um, keeping your distance for one week before but that's um, whereas Macau which is on the other side of the river actually stopped maybe a few days maybe a week or so before that but anyway um, so massive stopped masses have stopped schools we have the Chinese New Year um, the Chinese think of Chinese New Year just like the uh, Christmas and New Year all sure. together it's a it's a three it's a three day holiday, but and it's it is actually very relevant to the current COVID nineteen. Yes, crisis it is. Explain that to our listeners. Yes, because during Chinese New Year, people who work in the cities in factories, including Wuhan, the original uh, epicenter of the, they will go back to their villages to celebrate for about maybe a week 10 days now that means they're going on trains buses uh probably not planes because that's too darn expensive um and so they will be bringing the virus from heavily 
uh, affected areas back to their hometown where they, if they're particularly if they are um, asymptomatic, will actually be spreading it all over the country in the village. What were the dates of that celebration this year, Peter? Um, uh, let me just have a check. It's the end of it's the end of January. And of course, um, of course, that also means uh, that uh, the first uh, three days, but as, as there is a Sunday in, in there. So four, the first four days are actually general holidays where everyone, everything is shut. It's just like New Year, New Year's Day. So but um, the schools were stopped for the Chinese Union and then maybe a few days before. So we're talking about January the 20 something. And schools never started from that day onwards in Hong Kong. Okay. Well, Peter, let's uh, start our compare and contrast. What do you remember about the SARS epidemic, which was a different coronavirus, back in 2002-2003? Okay. That's a different coronavirus. The difference is that it's actually much, 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 much less contagious. Um. It's the same in uh, in its ability to uh, spread by droplets, and in the correct um, circumstances, it can be aerosolized, and it stays on surfaces, so it's spread by fomites. The we got um, in Hong Kong. We are on the doorstep of China. We obviously get much uh, more official, unofficial and Chinese whispers type of uh, information. Um, officially, things didn't uh, escape China until in mid-February um, or something like that. And, um, but we heard about a devastating uh, atypical pneumonia was what we call it. Um, sometime after the Chinese, Chinese New Year was earlier in 2003, about I think in early February. And um, it and we heard about people panic buying, panic buying vinegar to disinfect, panic buying salt because they thought the salt would help in disinfection, etc., etc. In mid-February, and for those people who were uh, who were discussing the merits or demerits and etc. of lockdown, there is one thing you've got to remember. The whole world would not have known about SARS, at least not as fast, if there wasn't a Chinese doctor from the Chungshan University who came to Hong Kong to attend a wedding. He wow. lived in a hotel. He lived in a hotel and, the ho- and, and spread the virus and left virus in the corridor, in his room, in the lift. That's the most important bit. And he eventually got sick. He told the people in the hospital he went in, don't touch me, otherwise you die. So that wow, that he was, he, he, you know, it was treated like in inverted commas Ebola or whatever. Yeah, and and that hospital never well didn't get hit until the whole community got hit. From there on, people who lived in his floor on his floor went all over the world just from oh. this one person. So when Carlo Urbani died. In Vietnam, after seeing, after investigating, he was sent. Carlo Urbani, this Italian doctor, was sent by the WHO to see a dying patient 
in Vietnam. He was the first doctor to die, apart from the doctor that spread it, uh, spread it abroad. Um, so then the whole world realized, oops, we are facing something new. I think if we rewind back to 2003, people didn't know that these emerging diseases, I mean, the last emerging disease before that was HIV AIDS. Yes. And it was, it was confined to a small population. It was confined to, you know, um, people with certain... Um, certain behaviors, right. Behaviors, yes. And they didn't die straight away. You had strange tumors. You had opportunistic infections, which would look like well, you had Kaposi's sarcoma. You had uh, pneumocystis carinii pneumonias. And these or, but pneumocystis carinii pneumonias were known in the transplant community. And we do have, you know, uh, and we do have uh, drugs to help them. But, but SARS time, was different. It was more rapid onset, deadly, more quickly. It was, it was <clears throat> rapid onset, deadly quickly because it actually attacks the lung interstitium, so the lower respiratory tract, and no one knew how to deal with it. And I'm not sure even looking back, we actually knew how to deal with it or even know how to deal with it now. We tried all sorts of things. Um, there was a cytokine storm and we tried steroids and a lot of people were left with um, a, a vascular necrosis of the hip and that sort of thing. I mean, the people who survived. And I think what brought home the severity was when doctors started dying. Doctors and nurses started taking ill and dying. And, you know, in 2003, no one knew that infectious diseases or respiratory disease was that dangerous. You know, yes, we have tuberculosis. You know, there is something called a plague. But, well, you know, um, it didn't hit home until we, we had eight people we had eight healthcare workers dying, two private doctors, one of whom I know, um, an ENT surgeon, I actually know him, I knew him, um, two, doctors, two, two, two doctors working in the public sector, one male nurse who, um, who, who was with uh, one of the um, doctors you know, in, in one of the hospitals, they got infected when they were trying to intubate a patient, and then three healthcare assistants. And what and did they really, look like? What did their illness look like when you saw them? Um, because I was in a clean hospital, I didn't see that many of them. But from the sort of, uh, you, you know, um, we were all very afraid. And um, it was basically a very severe pneumonia, um, mostly a low respiratory tract infection, Um as far as I understand, uh, because I hadn't got direct clinical, um, I don't have direct clinical contact with either of those, or either of these two illnesses. Sure. But, um, um, but severe pneumonia, uh, oxygenation failure. So it doesn't matter uh, how much oxygen you pump in. The Great. That was my next question, because if we've got um, ventilators available, why do they die anyway? Is it because you can't get oxygen across the cell membranes in the lung to get to the bloodstream? That's part of the problem. I think the other thing was those alveoli collapse. Some people were going to try. Um, some people, you know, in said they want to try um, other things like, you know, like um, for the for the little babies with respiratory, you know, with the um, newborn 
uh, respiratory distress syndrome. They are yeah. like collapsed because of a lack of surfactant. They were yes. going to try that, but uh, you know it was highly controversial, and they didn't try, and they and then lose patients. You know that sort of thing. People are are, are still sort of. Uh, beating their breast about whether they should have tried this, they should have tried that. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, the other thing was um, in 2003, ECMO was not very well available. And explain um, what ECMO is to our listeners. Right. ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. Basically, you take blood from, uh, it can be done vein to vein or vein to artery. Basically, you go through what is like a heart-lung machine, um, but not in the context of open-heart surgery. You take uh, deoxygenated blood from the veins, you put it through a membrane oxygenator, like the artificial lungs that you have in a, um, a heart-lung machine for cardiac surgery, and you return oxygenated blood either into the arteries uh, of the patient, or sometimes you return it to a, one of the big veins from which you've been uh, pumping out. So the, it's uh, like having an external lung, a way to put oxygen in the blood when the blood is outside the body. Yes. So extra corporeal membrane oxygenator. ECMO. ECMO. Right. So uh, SARS patients were dying at a higher rate than COVID patients, correct? Um, as far as the figures we have got at the present, yes, the case fatality rate is something like 10%. But it is much, 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 much less contagious. It's Although it's a coronavirus, it attacks the bottom, the inside of the lungs, the lower respiratory tract. So when you cough, if you have a, a virus that infects you, and not yeah. all of the time, it causes you respiratory distress or problems with breathing, Okay. And sometimes it doesn't even cause you fever, uh, cause a fever or any other things. That is a factor which causes the uh, the person who can spread the virus not to be aware that he might be ill, and that's the more dangerous thing. The other thing, which um, the other thing which we later found out because of a cluster at one of the teaching hospitals, and that's the problem. Uh, there was a patient at the teaching hospital he got ill and then later he got better uh, or he he was infected before he got really ill he went back home and none of us knew that like covid-19 or this uh, this uh, whatever virus you want to call it the wuhan virus or the new coronavirus yes etc there was a lot of fecal um, excretion of virus the feces were full oh. of the virus. There was a plumbing problem in one oh, of the no. public health estate. And also because there was a, a chimney effect in one, in the way the buildings were, the whole building got infected. We currently have got at least, and, and that, that was a big cluster. That was a big cluster and the whole two buildings got um was shipped to an isolation center in the middle of uh, you know um which was converted from uh, a holiday village in the middle of the countryside which we which we do have and <laughs> that let <laughs> and that settled that but currently there is a cluster um in two different estates one private and one 
I think one private and one public estate, which also involves faulty plumbing. And it actually brings back, um, it brings back the memories of this estate, but actually the circumstances are different. So, uh, so one of the things that we've been stressing um, and it's a bit unsavory for the general uh, listener, but, you know, we have to, you know, we have got used to um, sorting out, we've got used to uh, looking after the plumbing so that the U-traps are okay, uh, the U-traps for the, the floor uh, yes. out, and so on and so on. And very, very important, we always, particularly if you have passed emotion you know past feces into the toilet cover the lid before we flush that's very important so it doesn't aerosolize yeah the 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 the, um the feces will be aerosolized and then then the virus will well anyone coming back coming back into the uh, washroom after you whether it's a public washroom or you know in your in, in your house then you will they'll breathe in the aerosolized virus um and 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 um and if you're putting it into the extractor fan you know if the circumstances so permit then then maybe peter is there any evidence that uh the COVID 19 virus is in the feces yes sorry i mentioned it just now Uh, you probably didn't hear it oh okay so that's this virus now okay that's That's what i want no sorry sorry sars virus yes this virus, yes, they're both the same. It's not in urine. It is in feces. I don't know if it's in tears. Upper respiratory, I think, you know, you bet it is. It probably isn't in sweat, but uh, it is in feces. And just as there were cases which were spread by faulty toilet plumbing, there was a big cluster. We had uh, uh, a small. We had two small clusters with different plumbing problems. Um, this time, which was in the last maybe four weeks, two different ways of transmission, and they have been identified. They've been quickly identified, and the uh, various plumbing bits uh, that have gone wrong are being disinfected. So the whole craziness of people over here hoarding toilet paper actually has some basis in fact now. Well, the toilet paper doesn't help, but the problem <laughs> is, you know, it's not the toilet paper that's going to. Right. I, I don't know. We, 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 uh, toilet paper is hoarded everywhere. Uh, but the other thing is that, you know, uh, if you don't live in apartments and high rise apartments, then things are better. But yes. even if you are in separate houses, you know, the, the problem is if you have faulty plumbing, be careful. And of course, you know, if you go to public toilets and if you need to, you know, uh, pass feces, then it's very important before you flush, put the lid down. And, 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 and that, will, that will stop that toilet having aerosolized virus. And the other very scary point. thing is that, very, very scary thing is that we've had the studies uh, we've had enough. We, we've got enough kits to do the study, and um, uh, and even when people stop having virus in their deep throat, 
sputum samples, they're still secreting virus in their stool. So toilets are never, ever a point that you can be less vigilant about. They still secrete viruses in their uh, feces, in their stool, where long after, long after the throat is clear. And that's scary. That's good to know because I have not heard that anywhere in our country. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. That 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 is just, I think that result or that they just held the press conference about two days ago. That's Chinese University, the the one that I worked in um, so many years ago. So that that's you know that's all what I'm talking to you about is actually the mo some of the most up to date research. Um, the other thing that people were worried about and i think it's a little bit um you may think you know we are we're actually uh, as we're boasting of our adequacy of testing is that um although cats and well cats we've never actually had a problem of detecting the virus in cats there um there are at least three dogs that have been tested for the virus uh because their owners have virus one was positive and then subsequently went negative but died after he was returned to the owner but that was an old dog anyway we've got an alsatian <laughs> we've got an alsatian who's still at in quarantine and uh, one of those local sort of you know local breeds uh, chinese dogs who has so far turned up to be virus negative so uh, as some people some people say you know Wow, they're, they're, they're re it's really luxurious in Hong Kong. Even dogs get tested for viruses. <laughs> but I didn't realize that it was passing back and forth with even uh, domesticated animals. That's... It's, it's, it's not passing. I don't think it, we think it's environmental contamination because if the, your owner, if the owner is positive, then the floor is going to be positive, if you see what I mean. Oh, yes. And, and the dog is going to be on the floor, he will may have licked the floor, and you can't expect the dog to be completely negative for virus, if you see what I mean. But ah. there is absolutely, there's absolutely no evidence so far of uh, pets. It's most likely that it's confirmed in the owner and the pet gets, uh, well, at least I think both of those cases when a dog has gone positive, the, the owner has gone positive. The owner was confirmed to be a COVID-19 uh, and then the dog subsequently tests positive. But then okay, so right now there's no spreading from domesticated animals to people that we're aware far, of anywhere in the world. No, uh, there is ex absolutely no evidence Great. of that yet. Good. But we're, 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 we're on the look. Well, the place <clears throat> where we're looking is actually Hong Kong because we've got enough tests as so far to even yes. start testing dogs. You see? You're way ahead of us there. We wish we had all those. Peter, you guys have had to be in isolation back then, recently. How do you address the fear of people while they are in isolation? Well, I think the isolation is not universal, but we talk about social isolation, and that's, that's definite. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what happened. Um, I have got three children, Two of whom, uh, well, they're, they're now they're now in lockdown in London. The, the, the two boys, one's nineteen and the other one will be twenty-two this year, and so they will be uh, a lot younger. Seventeen years ago, five and whatever it is, five, <laughs> yes. uh, well, uh, yeah, five and three or whatever it was. 
uh, two, two and a half. And um, they can't remember anything. But um, one was in kindergarten. Uh, one was, yeah, both of them. Were in, one was in nursery school and kindergarten. And I just looked at the news and pulled them out of school one week before they stopped school. Oh. So it didn't. Well, it, you know, they were in preschool. Sure. They were in preschool. And I pulled them out of school because I thought, hang on, things don't look right. And, uh, 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 you know, middle of the week, half of, you know, uh, three, four days later, they announced schools closing, you know. So, and, um, and I basically kept these two boys, a five-year-old and a, a three-year-old, whatever it was, um, he was, um, at home all the time without leaving home. They had no excuse to leave home until, um, until um, Mother's Day. They had small kids. They had lot, lots to, they had, you know, we kept them occupied. TV was. So what was, month would you have pulled them out of school? Uh, Mid-March. And then so, is Mother's Day there the second Sunday of May, just like here? Or is it a different yes. day? Yes. Okay. Yes. So about two months they were, they were at home. Down. Yes. Um, I, um, so that was that. Um, now uh, we are encouraged not to go out. Um, for my 15-year-old daughter, it's not so easy, but we're trying to, we're trying to do all sorts of, we're, we're trying to, um, we're trying to manage um, with online lessons and everything like that. Sounds like the same here. We, we homeschool our kids and we're saying that the rest of the world is catching up to us because everybody's homeschooling now. Um, well, the the thing is with the um we are very much into um internet connected so yes. they've got all sorts of things but um for those in isolation the four the, the 14 days i think um i don't know because i've never been but i know what will happen i said to my uh wife who's um my um uh, my wife works for my mother-in-law and we have uh, and they have a uh, a family, uh, a small family travel business. And they said, if I need to go to the dirty zone, get me a hotel near the hospital. Yes. Get me supplies and I'll be in self-imposed isolation. I never got to that stage um, at that time. But And for our listeners, a dirty hospital is one that is treating known cases, known patients with uh, COVID right now, whereas a clean hospital has no confirmed cases. And if I, I believe you said they send the suspected ones to the so-called dirty hospital. Is that right? No, only the confirmed one. We screen oh. the uh, we screen the suspected um, we screen the suspected cases where we are, and if they are positive, they go to the dirty hospital. Got it. But only before, but only before uh, for the current for my current hospital and the current crisis but only before the um, dirty hospital gets saturated or gets near capacity, then we'll take them where we are. So, so um, but that time, uh, most of the cases are in the big hospitals. I was, I'm, I'm working, what, the, the hospital I'm working in is a smaller hospital. So um, if they get overwhelmed, we'll have to take and look after the ones in our hospitals ourselves. How do you see this outbreak of COVID as different than the SARS outbreak 17 years ago? 
Um, okay. Can I finish answering the last question first? Oh, answer. on being in isolation. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's, a, there's another aspect of isolation, which is all hospital visiting are stopped. Okay. Yes. You, even if you are in for cancer surgery, no, you're not visiting wards. That has a problem because any hospitalized patients are then literally socially isolated. The volunteers who do hospital visiting, of course, they're stopped. You know, you don't want them. Um, sometimes it's difficult to get a priest for, you know, anointing of the sick and so on and so forth. And the priests are not happy about that sort of, you know, um, as it were, in full gear and, you know, dipping the, uh, um, you know, anointing at the end of a cotton bud or something like that. I remember sure. a, a, a priest saying to me, but I mean, you know, we have to protect them. Doctors are scarce resources. Priests are even scarcer resources. I think we all appreciate that. Yes. Um, so um, then, as uh, I actually told you um, previously, before we went on air, that um, I was um, asked to speak at a, a, a course on um, bioethics in Rome. Yes. Uh, in July, um, I was just gathering all my thoughts about SARS, and I came across this room, which said, and it's the same. It's it's actually they got a new um, they got a new notice, uh, uh, a new label for the room. But there's a teleconference visiting room, so they can get patients in their ward to a place where they can have teleconference, and that's the only visiting they are, are, are allowed. That really imposed a lot of psychological stress, particularly yes. on chronic long-stay patients. And um, it is a digression, but I'll go quickly into this digression. There was a young man called uh, Aban, and he was a promising um, sports teacher uh, in the teacher, now it's called the university, uh, the, 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 the university of Education. It was previously one of the uh, uh, teacher training colleges. Uh, he broke his neck and was paraplegic from the neck downwards. Sorry, tetraplegic from the neck downwards. And before SARS, he had his, you know, he was able to keep his spirit up. During SARS and this subsequent social isolation, he wanted to really get rid of himself. And actually, he started a campaign to legalize euthanasia. Uh. So sometimes little things. No, but anyway, um, things got better. He, they, um, people got uh, rallied together, got him an electric wheelchair, he went back into the community, although he actually did uh, write the book, I Want Euthanasia. Mm. Uh, but he changed his mind. And um, but a few years ago, he got sepsis and died. Um, so he had a natural end in that sense. But it's I tell you this story is to tell you the impact of isolation on even big social issues like euthanasia, because it literally drove him to despair. Well, yesterday, a friend of mine who is a pulmonologist taking care of patients uh, said to me that many people are dying in the hospital a day. They're dying of stroke, heart attack, cancer, and their loved ones cannot be with them. Uh, and he was just beside himself uh, with the same thing you're saying, how this is psychologically impacting these patients and their family members. And he, th this doctor said he hopes that this 
pandemic is not bringing out the worst of our human nature, but that somehow we'll become better through this. I, I had not thought of that. Now hearing from you too, I think we need to be more aware of meeting the needs of those patients. Well, not only patients, also staff. Um, we had, um, I think I mentioned that the hospital authority runs all the public hospitals. Yes. It caters 90% of all the inpatients in Hong Kong, or 95%, something like that. But the staff are also under stress. And previous to that, we didn't have, we didn't think about staff welfare as looking after their psychological welfare. And after that, we have this um, group called Oasis, as in Oasis. Yes. For the, and, and, and from 2003, we had these Oasis groups um, coordinated from headquarters, which are giving psychological um, support uh, after major incidents to prevent post-traumatic stress disorders, you know, all that sort of thing. But these are the pos some of the positive things, certainly, uh, you know, certainly for staff welfare. And even now, they're trying to work out psychological support for people who have re recovered, um, how, how to arrange follow-up in a month's time with the uh, community psychological psychiatric services. So yes, it is very important. And yes, you know, if you know people who, who have the ability to influence policy in your hospitals, in your community, do tell them that it is absolutely, absolutely needed. Thank you. I will pass that on. That's great advice. What do you see as differences between the COVID-19 pandemic and the SARS 2002-2003 epidemic? As I said, SARS was much less contagious. And SARS has the, in inverted commas, relative advantage that people are less asymptomatic. When they got SARS, they know they were ill. They were really sick. They yeah. were really sick. Um, and the problem with the COVID-19 is it attacks the more systems, um, including the immune system. People have said there are elements which are like HIV, and uh, we are absolutely sure about that, because there are people who were COVID-19, or so, what, what do you call it, SARS-CoV, uh, SARS-2, I think. Right. This yeah, is SARS two. Yeah. This is SARS two virus. They they become virus becomes undetectable in the blood. They get out into the community. They become positive again. And it probably is the fact that um, the it is likely to be that they um, uh, although there are the virus numbers have actually become non detectable. The virus was not cleared and. Uh, and once they didn't get either drugs or whatever, they uh, either reactivated or whatever, and they became positive again. Because animal studies have said that the, uh, the um, or have found that rather, that the, um, the immunity, uh, you don't get reinfected very quickly. So those people, and it's not just in China, it's in places like Korea and Japan, which you can be sure of that they're not sort of, holding back part of the story. Um, and I think there might be a case or two in Hong Kong that has done that too. But, uh, but we are actually keeping patients uh, f for a longer time so to make sure that they actually are 
they have repeat test negative before they are let out into the. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and the other thing is that I think the younger patients, people who are not so affected in the lungs yet, are, um, are having other symptoms. That's the problem. If they have tummy ache and they go into the surgical wards, and in fact, that is SARS-2, can you understand the difference? Because it's not just the medical wards. We can have SARS-2 patients in the surgical wards, and they come in with tummy aches and diarrhea, and diarrhea is one of the symptoms. And ah, I, I was not aware of that. That has not so, been publicized. That's not very well publicized, but things like that and other symptoms. So it affects, it affects more systems, and it's more elusive. The virus is more elusive, and we have to be much, much more vigilant on all counts. The problem is that a lot of people have forgotten or they have downplayed. And it is 17 years ago, for goodness sake. You know, and we are, although there have been a, uh, a time when the virus has, as it were, you know, we seem to have a sectional victory. People now are using less face masks, using less, uh, using less face masks uh, and, and going out in the streets. One of our nightlife districts, um, called Lan Kwai Fong is very popular with Westerners and they are less used to covering their face with masks. Yes. Um, uh, now seems to be a place where people have got infected in the bars, in the pubs. Now, Boris Johnson uh, in the UK have just declared last night to close pubs, bars, restaurants, everything. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, cinemas, whatever. Um, yes, as we have churches. done. As we've closed churches, we've closed all. Well, no, we haven't closed churches. We've banned masses. Churches are open, but you're supposed to go there in private prayer. If you want to, you can walk your way around, but not in groups, uh, around the church, uh, doing your way of the cross, etc., etc. But no, you're not. There are still, uh, we are still open for private masses for things like weddings and yes. funerals. Um, uh, whereas in Italy, you can't get a funeral, not in Bergamo and not in Lombardy. And, Lombardy, uh, correct. Yeah, they, 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 that, that's not. But uh, a lot of these things we're doing online through Facebook, through all these sorts of things. So people are still gathering in prayer. Um, so that is something that's an advance because uh, in 2003, Facebook wasn't that popular, or I don't know whether it's, I only joined Facebook in 2008 or nine, seven or eight, that sort of thing. And, and, and we were less internet connected, but that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. But um, bad thing because you can fake news so, travels. You know, Peter, yes. you've been giving us incredibly good new information. <clears throat> For the final question, I'd like to ask you, what advice do you have for us in America who have never been through anything like this, at least for 100 years since the Spanish flu epidemic? And there are many people out there who think that we're going overboard with isolation and quarantine. What advice do you have for us? Right. Um, first of all, do not underestimate this virus. You will live to regret it or rather you won't live to regret it, <laughs> it might be the thing. The thing is, um, you think it's overboard, but 
proper wearing of masks will help. Um, our our which, Surgeon General has told us not to. I know, but that's because it's difficult to tell people to wear masks properly. Uh, I can give you some information by um, email and, and so on. That there, there are uh, pictures and there are there is evidence um, why the ill person should wear a mask and where why why because the ill person should wear, the one who knows they are ill should wear a mask. Yes, and that's but what no, they have been saying. Absolutely. And but, yes. the, but the person who doesn't know he is ill should also wear a mask, and the person who thinks he's well and is well should also wear a mask. I have that evidence. I would um, appreciate seeing that, and then I will publicize it. Yeah. And then the thing is, when you wear masks, um, I have some pictures. You know, the surgical surgical masks are enough because N95 and things like that needs, uh, needs proper fitting and proper fitting every time. It's fine for me. I'm wearing it every day when I go into the operating theater and do aerosol generating procedures like putting a tube down someone's throat yes. and pulling it out again. I mean, these are high risk, high risk, high risk procedures, which even if they don't are not known to have symptoms, I can't know that they are not an invisible patient. So that's one thing. Wash your hands like mad. Yes. What I mean by that is um, the way I'm doing that is if I touch my mask, if I need to adjust things, a mask, I'm comfortable. I've been, a, I've been a, an anesthesiologist for 31 years and my nose and mouth itch under masks and you can't avoid, I wear, um, I wear glasses as well, and you can't in a, uh, avoid inadvertently touching the outside of a mask. Go and wash your hands. And it's a 20-second uh, wash. Yes, so it's a Hail Mary like, wash. <laughs> um, well, it's Our Father plus Hail Mary is in one of the... In one of the <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, or the Apostles' Creed. Okay. Yes. Uh, and, and basically the wash, you know, I know, because we've done scrubbing. It's yeah. the same yeah. procedure, 20 seconds, uh, with, you know, even soap is fine. If you're going to do that with alcohol rub, also 20 seconds yes. it's actually quite difficult i mean i have an alcohol rub in my pocket so if i touch anything that i shouldn't touch i'm going to spray and then just go through um the motions of of watching if you give that to a psychiatrist in normal times that's you know ample evidence of an of obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> but you have to be obsessive and compulsive with your hand washing otherwise you will get yourself ill uh, my hands have been more raw than at any time in my career. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Absolutely. So these two things, put the lid down, put the lid down when you flush. On the toilet, yep. The toilet. And, and I will say, you know, these sorts of things, sort out your plumbing, you know, social distancing, avoid crowded places, um, you know, um, keep your distance uh, six you know six feet two yeah. meters that sort of thing you know yeah, um i was saying to uh, some of my younger colleagues i said valentine's dinner will be a challenge well it will you know family dinners will be a challenge it will don't go and th do these things i would also say um 
you know, yes, church services are also one of the big one of the biggest clusters so far in Hong Kong involved a Buddhist prayer room. Okay. Wow. Situated in one of the buildings, which uh, th- that building also uh, on the to- uh, on the floors above, there are actually people living there. The cluster involved nineteen cases, and one of those cases have died. So there was eighteen eighteen infections and one death from that one place. They recovered virus from the prayer books, things that are covered with the prayer books, the kneelers, and the worst of all. The handle of the tap in the in the washroom. Oh, that's how they all got it. Which is which is why whatever you say, whatever other particularly traditionally minded um, websites, maybe like Church Militant, has said, you know, I think it's prudent to stop masses. Don't use common prayer. Don't use. Don't share prayer books. Right. It, yeah. it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's no joke. Sorry, it is no joke. I'll also give you, a, um, uh, I'll also send you a picture where, where, because of this, everyone started doing the things that I've told you we're doing. And in the public health lab, all viruses, coronavirus, the cold type of virus, the diarrheal type of virus, all the type of virus, they've, they've, they've only increased the number of samples through the public health lab and the incidence of virus of viruses in the samples just just fell down like a cliff it was a, a cliff dive so it fell to zero so that how important public health is yes peter oh young from hong kong thank you so much for being with us thank you for listening to another episode of dr doctor the official podcast of the catholic medical association share the good news of this with a friend invite them to listen in their favorite podcast app this is dr tom mcgovern signing off until your next dose of dr doctor Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit redeemerradio.com slash doctor.